a brand new, improved version of the Edgington Post Show, and I am Mark Edge here today with with a good friend of mine. His name is Henry Rains, and Henry Rains, uh, how long have you been broadcasting? How long have I been broadcasting? Well, I think you mean since I very started, maybe around 2003, I started working with the Bud Beck Show in Bradenton, Florida, and then about a year later, I started... American AM, which was a morning drive, and did it pretty much consecutively around Tampa Bay for 15 years or so. So you've been broadcasting almost as long as I have. And uh, you've been on Free Talk Live a few times. I've been on your show. There's some back and forth. But for people who haven't listened a lot, well, I want to do some introductions just so they know what they're talking about, because I have an idea for that I'm working with you on uh, for a new show uh, for something a little different. And currently I'm using Edgington post because, well, it's been around for a while and people have an expectation that it is recorded. So there won't be any live call-ins on this show, but really what I want to do is uh, I, I, let's start from the beginning here. So, uh, essentially, Free Talk Live is probably not going to be doing its uh, weekday show as much live as it was before. Uh, our main host, Ian Freeman, is going to sensing here in the near future. We don't know what's going to be happening. And I think it's just easiest for everybody if we do some recorded shows uh, for the time being. And not to say that other things can't happen in the future, but right now we're going to be doing recorded shows during the weekdays. And Edgington Post has always been recorded. And the, when Ian talked to me about this, when I kind of came up with the idea of doing recorded shows during the week, but he was like, what do we do here? Uh, you were the first person I called afterwards, right? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I, I was shocked by that, that thought, but yeah, I, 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 you told me something was coming. Yeah, like uh, you were the first person I called. And the reason is I've wanted to do a show with you for a long time. And the show I want to do is uh, talking about the issue from different points of view. I'm afraid that way too much of media today, Free Talk Live included, is an echo chamber where people don't get their premises checked regularly. And the, you know, it doesn't take much to, to see you you know, in our world, what happens with echo chambers. People just go wild and nuts. Um, you know, like it just doesn't make any, the conclusions they come to begin to not make sense at all. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that people are better served when people who have different points of view on an issue uh, talk about them. And it's very easy for people, I'm not going to say two sides of an issue. There's many sides to, to any given issue. But it's very easy today for people to come to the conclusion that the other side is evil, stupid. Um, you know, I think those are generally the, uh, the, the conclusions they come to. Bunch Laughable. of dirty liars. Okay, liars. Um, yes. I mean, do people really? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they do. Yeah, I mean. I generally come to the conclusion that if I'm hearing it on the mainstream media, it has already been thoroughly massaged and <laughs> that I am to be, that the reason I'm hearing any story on the mainstream media is because I'm supposed to be paying attention to that story and not the other story. Like there's some story out there that I, that I, that's, that I actually should pay attention to 
not uh, whatever it is that that I'm here. Um, but let you me maybe feel curve right away, Mark. And go ahead. Not di not to digress, but to go slightly off tangent on this, because buddy, I this show is going to be digressions. <laughs> but you just said, you know, the the lead stories are what they want or what the media wants us to look at, and not the story that we really should be looking at. Often, yeah. What I would just tweak that a little bit. Also, the lead story is what will make them the most money if we pay attention to that. And what we had in this last 20 years, as we become more uh, online, looking at headlines on our phone, quick gratification and engagement, is not even the story, but the result, the active engagement from us that listen, us that read, us that watch. And so it incentivizes what I just said a little minute ago, lying. And we're not going to do it in this segment, but and maybe if we continue on, we'll do it more. But I've got a couple examples where that lies are just blatant <laughs> lies. And that's just what I wanted to interject, sort of as a tease, sort of as a preview, that I'd love to just talk about when how stupid do you th they think we are that you can't even fact check the most obvious lies that they're throwing at you? Yeah, I think that there is always this um, this this churn, this PR churn, right, where they're trying to get you going down this trail or that trail and those kind of things. And uh, by they, I'm I'm talk just basically talking about the two party system. Um, you know, like I'm of the opinion that there is just bull crap that is put out constantly just to see what you're going to do. And we all know the news is built on catastrophes, right? I mean, you know, it's not the weatherman standing in front of a map that's got fire and uh, tornadoes, <laughs> you know, low pressures, high pressures and all those kind of things. You know, they're, they're doing anything to, to get you upset and, and thinking about stuff. But then the two parties just are throwing in their kind of, um, you know, the, pay attention to this. And that's what I want to do is, is I want to expose the lies. I want to uncover the truth. And I think that we can do that better, or at least we can do that differently, uh, you and I, by talking about issues from our point of view. So I'm going to describe my point of view and uh, my biases right now. And I want you to then describe your point of view and your biases. Okay. Because as long as we know that we've got biases, we can at the very least begin to have a conversation because all this just lob and poop from one side of the fence to the other just is, it, it doesn't get anywhere. And at some point or another, you just get tired of listening to it. I do anyway. You know, Mark, so my you, you remember my dad. My dad passed away almost 30 yeah. years ago, but you got to know him uh, somewhat in, in your youthful days. And yes. he had a saying that he, I remember from a, the 60s when he would say it, I was just a little kid, but it speaks to what you're saying. He goes, I'm not prejudiced, I'm just biased. <laughs> you're right, to your, I know it's healthy, true, know your biases, and then just work within that uh, ecosystem of biases that you have. 
Yeah, Hank was, uh, I think for those that don't know Hank, it's probably worth uh, just saying, Hank was a uh, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. He fought in uh, Saipan and uh, more than one theater in the Pacific in World War II, and you know, it didn't much shake him. Much shaping? He didn't, didn't much shake him. Oh. Okay. All right. I see what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, and this is what I edit buttons for. <laughs> he, he was uh, quite a unique person. And uh, we'll, we'll explore that as the time goes by and, and we'll, we'll take in that. But that, that was a lot of things that he said, as we often find with our parents, you, know, you find, oh, he, he or she, if it was your mom, yeah. That actually made a lot more sense to me than when I heard it in my youth. So, but continue. What are your biases, Mark? I thought you were yeah. much more. I, for anybody who's familiar with Free Talk Live, uh, you know, I, my bias is libertarian, right? I just like that term. I think it works for where I'm at. Um, I'm not the radical that Ian is. And Ian likes to use the term voluntarist to describe himself. And that means to him that... Uh, he wants all human interaction to be voluntary. Um, I think that that's his laudable goal. Um, <laughs> and I am looking forward to that. However, I think that the, probably the best things we can do is uh, to attempt to achieve the best possible result today. Like, for instance, I found that libertarians often look at a problem and want to take it down to uh, first principles and then build it back up. Well, this system sucks. Let's tear it all down and restart. And generally what I found is humans don't work that way. That you kind of have to work with the way things are and make whatever modifications you're going to make if you have any expectation of things happening. And Free Talk Live has seen some real positive pro-liberty changes over the course of the world in the last 20 years. Now, I'm not claiming we did it just because we were broadcasting, but we were here. <laughs> so, you know, for what that's worth, um, I also have run for office three times, uh, three times at the very least, I can think of off the top of my head, three times that I won uh, as a Republican. And, you know, I mean, am I... Republican every issue every time? No, by no means. But I'm probably, if, if, you, if you ask two people to, you know, bring in two party pundits, one from each side, and they start asking me questions at the end of a half an hour, I think that the Democrat's going to say, you can have that one to the Republican. And, <laughs> um, you know, that's kind of where it's at. Now, I think you're uh, not so, not the same. No, but just to comment for a second on uh, where you left off is that I would not be surprised by that observation because up until, I don't know, about five years ago, the libertarian, uh, there was a libertarian streak in the Republican Party that was much more pronounced than it is now. Um, there, I would suggest that there is an anti-liberty streak in some segments of the Republican Party now that uh, was not very prominent prior to 
last four or five years. In fact, uh, there's a lot of things that we'll explore that the, the pendulum has swung, uh, the, the pendulum of excess has swung back and forth from Democratic Party to Republican Party or from uh, liberal to conservative or, or what have you, and we'll, yeah. we'll explore that. But, yeah, I think that – well, yeah, let me, let me address that real quick. Having broadcast on Free Talk Live, um, our show's been on since uh, 2002, and so we're over 20 years on uh, Free Talk Live specifically. And we started during George Bush. It was post-9-11, um, and we – would have, we sounded, we got called liberals and sounded Democrat all the time. We were, you know, anti-Iraq war. We were anti-war generally. And during the Bush administration, we were, by the listener's standards, a bunch of crazy liberals. And then when um, Obama went into office, we got heat from the Democrats over and over again. Now, I, I don't think Obama achieved uh, as much uh, because of his, because of the makeup of the House and Senate most of the time he was in. But, um, you know, I'm certainly thoroughly against uh, Obamacare. And, uh, you know, we got called conservatives. And then when uh, Trump came in, we got called uh, liberals again. And uh, now we're conservatives again. And I'm looking forward to the day of getting called liberal again or whatever. I'm getting, I'm looking forward to the day we get to parse this whole Obamacare thing and uh, tear that apart. But there isn't going to be time on this first show to do that. But no. we are we are very diametrically uh, of different opinions on that. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, uh, we've got different opinions on a lot of things. And I think that the listeners uh, will get, you know, and, and that's, the, that's the other thing that I wanted to say here, uh, Henry, on this uh, particular issue is, is that, A, I have nothing but the deepest respect for you. And B, you're a smart guy, right? Like, I can't pin him you up by saying, well, you're dumb. And um, hope I don't certainly don't believe the same about myself, right? Like, I, think, I believe that I am both a smart guy and that uh, worthy of respect. So um, the idea here is, is that we'll be tearing apart ideas, not each other. And I see there's too much of that out there. You know, every once in a while, somebody needs a check on their personality, but I have too much respect for you to just go try to beat you up on the air. Um, you know, I've known you for way too long and you know, I, I already know that you know the issues. I already know that you've, uh, you're giving it the best thought and your, uh, your best, um, your best effort, right? You're not out to hurt me. And so that's why you're, I'm on the air with you because I have you, you the Democrat. I have the highest respect for. Well, and the question it begs the question, you know, how can they have such different opinions if they both have, uh, if they're both supposed to be smart guys and they're both supposed to right. respect each other? But that reminds me of a moment in one of the years I was broadcasting, and of course, actually it, it, to. To broadcast on the radio in 2003 and 2004 and into even 5, 6, 7, people have to remember MSNBC hadn't even really established itself. Keith Oberman was like the, the tip of the spear on the direction that MSNBC was going to go. So you didn't really have uh, 
a liberal, an ardent liberal, an ardent Democratic Party advocate. And I wasn't a Democratic Party advocate per se, at least as a reason for existence of my show. It was much more coming out of the anti-Iraq war uh, motivation. But by the time I had been on the air for, say, three years or so, and people had thought they had pigeonholed me, uh, I said something that I thought wasn't, um, wouldn't be that controversial to, to people because it wasn't even a policy issue. But I, I was giving the example of uh, people that were anti-abortion, stridently anti-abortion. And I, I was comparing it to people that were stridently anti-war. And I, what I said was that people will come to different conclusions because of a different life experience. Life experience. So that some people will uh, come, as I was just trying to say, will view things through their uh, experiences and they'll come to an exact opposite from someone they're very comparable to who has different experiences. We'll, maybe we'll get a chance in the next segment or so to talk about uh, why those experiences are. But it was simply that. I, I said, you know, if this is how your life experience shaped you, you're going to come to this conclusion. If this is how your experience shaped you, you're going to come to a different conclusion on the same issue. And boy, you would have thought, even though it was radio, people looked at me like I had turds coming out of my mouth as I said that, because the regular callers, the regular listeners came in, how can you possibly say that? And to me, that isn't even that a controversial thing, that different life experiences will lead to different life uh, conclusions. Mark? I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think it comes down to big three personality. Excuse me, big five. Okay, and uh, well, given that, uh, we still got a few more minutes here before we have to go to break. So, do you you want me to talk about my biases? Yeah, talk about. I, I like to talk about your biases. We'll get into yeah. But, we'll get into personality, but basically, there's uh, there's uh, five character traits that they call the the big five, and those uh, you know they're somewhat hereditary. They're somewhat um, environmental, and they just sort of dictate how somebody's going to make a choice. Okay. So what I would say is that the first thing that you would do to say, well, where do those biases come from? You have to talk about where and when I grew up. So right now I'm a definite boomer. Uh, I'm at the high, born at the height of the baby boom, which would have been 1957. So when I right, was, well, so I was born in 71, which is a whole different thing. But so <laughs> I would have been, uh, let's see, 63. So if I would have been about five years old when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, when your TV was constantly telling you about a nuclear Armageddon that was going to have happen, and you went as a five-year-old would internalize that. A couple years later, or not quite a couple years later, say 65, uh, was going to be the riots that happened around the United States, the race riots, if you will, or the, the uh, riots for civil rights, the marches, the peaceful protests. 
the Martin Luther King Jr. on my, the evening news on TV all the time. I traveled around the South with my dad. He sold um, industrial products, paper mills, which was a Southern industry. Uh, and I went to dinner in, in the summer times when we were on vacation with the plant managers and what would be considered the engineers and the management class around the South. And I would hear their versions. And the whole civil rights struggle was a big uh, influence on me. And, uh, you know, you can, well, we don't have to run through all the history, but by the height of the, the summer of love in 1967, I was 10 years old and the hippie movement was going on. So those are things that, that formed me. And we can talk maybe after uh, the break and it comes up in a minute or so. We'll, uh, we'll go into other stories and I'm sure the other, uh, other influences will come out as we talk to each other over the course of time. And Mark, what, what do you want to take us into the break with? Well, um, I think we should get into some show prep, and I think that it's uh, very, very interesting that uh, not only can the drug warriors and the DEA and those that perpetrate the drug war and the American people not keep drugs out of their own prisons, they can't keep them out of the White House. The secure building in all of America, there was cocaine. We're not talking about weed here. Um, you know, weed's been smoked in the White House before, but cocaine uh, in the White House. I'm shocked. I'm shocked, Mark. Cocaine in the White House? Yeah. Who's I, I, I'll bet it's not White the first House. time either. <laughs> but, all right. Well, important questions like that. Whose cocaine was it? What else did they find with it? Did they ever find everybody? We have those details coming up for you and much, much more of that. We've got other important uh, items to, coming up. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes to vote on. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by the Treasury. In fact, that's exactly how we got this sponsorship. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. And it's another edition of the Edging to Post Show. I am Mark Edge with you today. I've got with me... Henry Rains, thank you for joining me, Henry. Hey there. Glad to be here. Or with you or and from you or whatever this is considered. 
<laughs> and we're trying to do uh, a different kind of show here brought to you by Free Talk Live. But not only is Free Talk Live kind of making the show possible, but so is another sponsor. And that sponsor is Dash, Digital Cash. So this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash, Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. And I've used Dash a great deal in Keene, New Hampshire. We were able to buy hamburgers and haircuts and get your car fixed and all kinds of things when I was living there. Um, really great to use, fast, easy. Uh, the, the transactions happen very quickly. The transaction fees are less than one cent. Uh, they're instant, irreversible, protected from 51% attacks by chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous network. And uh, BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get. Easy to use. You can start with Dash by learning more at dash.org, D-A-S-H, dash.org. And thank you to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit dash.org to learn about Dash. It's dash.org. And uh, I have to say that disclaimer exactly that way, by the way. (laughs) Just quickly, uh, now, as we were talking at this moment in time, did you see this afternoon about the surge of crypto and why? No. Can you tell me about it? I I haven't been paying attention. SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, lost the case that they had with Ripple as whether or not Ripple would be considered a security. And that's going to, pun intended, ripple through the other uh, crypto uh, types of crypto and that whole question of a, when they created, is it a security or not? At least you can't project to any individual one, but at least, you know, it's not going to be just a slam dunk that the SEC says it's a security and, you know, just hang it up. They can be beaten. There's a, there's a God in heaven. <laughs> well, I don't know if he um, cares about that, but, or she cares about that or whatever. But you don't think God cares about the exchange? What about what pronouns is God using these days? Um, I think that it would depend on the language that one uses, that God doesn't have much care for pronouns. But in some cases, God has been a she. In some cases, God has been a he. In some languages, God has been an it. Um, so, you know. Well, that's something that maybe we'll have a t- chance to unwind later in the program. But, yes, well, I, there's nothing I love talking about more than pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't? Uh, except maybe cocaine. Except, uh, well, it, it, let's talk about feuding some things and, uh, you know, corruption in the government. <laughs> there's, there's something that's uh, kind of a futile and undoing. Um, it looks like there, well, certainly there was some cocaine found in the White House. And all fingers appear to be pointing towards Hunter Biden. For no good reason other than just he's a recovering addict, at least last... Recovering, is he? <laughs> well, I mean, until it's proven otherwise, you, I'm willing to... You go, do you go into the AA meeting and when they say I'm a recovering alcoholic, do you say, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> you know, you oh. got to cut a little slack on that. But if, the, there were if I had seen them at the bar last night, 
Say that again? If I'd seen them in the bar last night, I might. Well, I don't know. Again, you're so doing guess, an awful lot. But yes, like they like to say at the AA meetings, if you go into a barbershop enough times, you'll get a haircut. Indeed <laughs> you will. Um, I, personally, I'm not much of a drinker. But I can say that the, you know, I, I certainly drank more in my, in, my, in my life. My question would be is, is the genuineness of recovery, right? Like somebody could be drinking right now and still be in recovery. You know, like these things exist. It, you can be attempting to recover from addiction or whatever and, and be drinking at this moment. Well, I, I think you're putting the straw before the line in this discussion, Mark. And right. We need to be a little bit more chronological in what we're talking about here because we, we've already uh, raised the question about Hunter. But first, we need to tell people what we're raising the question about because a baggie of cocaine was found in a lobby at the White House. Uh, many people have already heard about this. It was found during a routine sweep of the White House. I think that's Now, when you say it was a lobby, I heard it was a room that Hunter stayed in. And we know that the news isn't what? always great. That's exactly that? what I heard. I, I, you know, I, I'm not prepared to check my answers. Because I'm telling you what I've heard. And I think that we should address all points in the story. And that's what I, I, I can't tell you where I heard it. Well, that's the let's, best I can let's, do. let's address the official record, and then you, we can talk about whatever the lying liar said about it. So, okay. Okay. And so this is from the Associated Press. This is right. the, the story of record, the official story. Not necessarily. I, I got gotcha. you. There's not much you can say otherwise. If the AP reports it, what are we supposed to do? That's the starting point. You, yeah. you start with the conventional wisdom. And then you go unconventional if the, the wisdom leads you there. I so, mean, it is accurate to say that I uh, stayed in the lobby of any given hotel that I was in, right? Because I was there in the lobby for a period of time. Uh, but that certainly leads one to a different conclusion than lobby, right? There's the word lobby and stayed, and they bring you to a different uh, conclusion about the room. Well, Let's get past the first paragraph here. Oh, I don't do that very well. <laughs> the, this could take us all night. I, it was a lobby of the White House. It was a baggie of cocaine. It does not say how much big the baggie was. My bias is that I think it was would be more likely to be in the not not speaking speaking uh, metrically. Uh, yeah, a, a gram to an eight ball kind of baggie, right. like I've seen in the movies. And yeah, eight, an, eight, an eight ball is not a, a metric measurement, by the way. <laughs> well, no, I I went from the started <laughs> at the metric with the gram, yeah, started and switched to the eight ball to, to go uh, pay a little tribute to the English system of weights and measures, <laughs> but. I do want to get to the second sentence that it was okay. found on a routine White House sweep on July 2nd. So that's what it was found. It's July 13th as we speak, the evening okay. of. And so then, we've, got at least, we've got at least 11 days worth of recovery here. Yes, it's an in-depth <laughs> in uh, investigation, which included 
a sophisticated FBI crime lab analysis, the AP's adjective, not mine. And it was the heavily trafficked West Wing lobby where staff go in and out and tour groups gather to drop their phones and their belongings. And what better place to drop your cocaine than with your phone? You know, those important life items that you carry well, around. Well, let's, to be clear, I've had to deal with uh, contraband at certain circumstances. And one of the th places to deal with it is like, oh, crap, I have this bag of cocaine in my pocket. I'll hide it here and then go through the scanner or whatever, right? Did the scanner pick okay, so, up a little baggie of cocaine? Well, they're going to, I, I don't know, they're, maybe they're searching people. I don't know what they do at the White House when they're, uh, you know, giving you the once over before you go in. It's been a long time. I don't know that I've ever been, I've never been in the White House. Well, the, and, and I, by the way, am unlikely to be invited. <laughs> the, the summary, a one sentence summary from the report, although there's more to it than this, without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered, which is Secret Service said in the summary. It's most, this is the paraphrasing of other parts of the summary. Most likely the bag was left behind by one of the hundreds of visitors who traveled in. I don't know why they discounted that it was anybody in the staff, but there may be reasons for that. Uh, because they're government workers and they have no higher respect for government workers. Anyway, that was said by a person not authorized uh, to <laughs> talk about the probe, but was familiar with it, which is how a lot of things get revealed. Uh, Republicans jumped on this. Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, said there is no equal justice. Anything revolving around Biden Incorporated gets treated different. And I guess he has given up on the use of adverbs. I would have said gets treated differently than any other American. Uh, <laughs> The White House Press Secretary, Corrine G. That's that whole thing about painting the other side as stupid, just so you know. <laughs> the White House Press Secretary said it was incredibly important for the Secret Service to get to the bottom of the drugs. Oh, I'm sorry, not to get to the bottom of the drugs, get to the bottom of how the drugs ended up in the White House. They By the way, the, the Secret bottom. Service has gotten to the bottom of a lot of drugs. I mean, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of stories about the Secret Service. <laughs> Biden, I think they believe... Uh, they're talking about the president, although the sloppy writing of the AP doesn't put a which Biden here is in the sentence. But Biden was at Camp David with members of his family for the holiday weekend. The complex was briefly evacuated because the white powder could have been a biohazard. Uh, the bag was sent for secretary, secondary sensitive lab analysis with Homeland Security's National Biodefense Analysis and Countermeasures Center, which, you know, see, they were taking this seriously. Uh, more forensic testing, uh, lab results didn't show any latent fingerprints or DNA, uh, video of the West Executive Street lobby entrance did not identify the person, you know, I guess. Whoever dropped their dropped bag, yeah. whoever dropped, dropped their bag had the, uh, good sense to make sure it was wiped clean before they, uh, they got rid of it. But, so. So it leaves me asking a couple of questions. I guess my question would be, um, and it's not one that you're likely to have an answer to, is do tours, if tours start in this room, do they end in this room? Because 
if they end in a different room, which is completely possible, then they may, uh, th then the person wouldn't have come back and picked up their, it would be a visitor, right? They didn't pick up their cocaine. My hypothesis is they do finish up there because they have to pick up their phones. Okay. And that would be when the person realizes if they didn't do it intentionally, that looks a lot like my cocaine. And I don't think I want to pick it up right here. <laughs> right. Okay, that's another possibility. Or maybe they said, wow, that looks like a lot like my cocaine. Wonder if that person's around to party with. But who knows? <laughs> uh, but I, I I do think the snap and rush to judgment, the snap rush to judgment, I should say, of, to Hunter Biden. Not that I have an opinion of his continued sobriety or not, whether it's a it's uh, ongoing thing or not. It's just unlikely that he would have been out there with all the common folks dropping his cocaine around. I know he's a little sloppy with laptops, but there's a higher priority of, of what you maintain and keep a hold of. So I guess he's a little yeah. sloppy with firearms too. But anyway. <laughs> well, I, uh, there's some sad stories of some people playing with firearms on, uh, on video. It's a, it's, it's not a good idea. Firearms are not toys, kids. Um, it sounds very much to me like this was the cocaine of somebody visiting the White House and that Republicans are going to make hay uh, during an election, you know, election season, uh, just like the Democrats are. But this is one of those stories that ought to be ignored other than the lesson that uh, drugs have won the war on drugs. We did win? Drugs won. Well, drugs have won the, the war on drugs. Yeah. Drugs won the war on drugs. Is my audio coming through well? Yeah, no, I am just pondering that. I, it's, it's not that okay. you're... Uh, I'm not hearing you. It's that I'm just... It's the, the profoundness of it all has to be absorbed. Sort of a yeah. pregnant pause in my listening to you. And, you know, it's not like drugs have won without uh, casualties. There's a lot of casualties. Uh, fentanyl is a terrible drug and uh, killing lots of people. I love to tell this story, and I never miss an opportunity to do it. Uh, a good friend of mine, he was the chief in uh, the fire department that I worked for for uh, like eight, eight years or something like that. And he also worked uh, in in the bigger town of Keene, New Hampshire, as a regular firefighter. He picked up a guy. Um, they had to jumpstart him. Uh, obviously, every time they jumpstart, give somebody uh, any kind of resuscitation, they take him to the hospital. He, um, and so they dropped him off. They went to another call. They picked somebody else up and brought him to the emergency room. As they were going into the emergency room, uh, he noticed the guy checking himself out of the hospital. Nothing unusual for a fentanyl addict to be checking themselves out after getting jump-started. You know, they're like, hey, hey, whatever. Um, they, they're dropping this other person off. They go to another call, and it was a busy day. <laughs> and then I think it was their fourth call of the day. It was this guy. He got to him, and sadly, he didn't survive this one. So he died twice in one day. 
And that drug, it's terrible. Uh, bad, bad, bad stuff happens. And you can't mess around with these things. You know, if you, you got one life and you might as well live it to its fullest. And it doesn't include that stuff. Sad story. Yes. And just to go off on a slight tangent here. So have you followed some of these stories? You know, Mark, you've been around long enough to see it. And I've certainly seen the, the media stories. You know, it's like every five or 10 years, there's got to be a wave of media stories about whatever the latest uh, scary drug is. Yeah. And uh, I remember, well, like yeah. as, as we talked about, uh, crack, crack, logic ice, crank, and, they did it all, yeah. Yeah, in the 60s, you know, you had all kinds of drugs that came to light, and you, there was the um, different warnings about those, and then... Well, if you want to go back further, they, they did temperance plays on alcohol. If you just get a chance to watch one of these temperance plays, you'd... I mean, it, it bears no resemblance to what you've seen as far as alcohol consumption in your life. And, uh, I mean, I'm not saying they're entirely fake. What's that? Well, I don't know about that because I haven't seen those. So give me an example. Well, I can tell you the song. There's uh, one song that was on the Muppets, and I love it. Cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women. They'll drive you crazy. They'll drive you insane. And then that just repeats. Um, but Is that the temperance song? It's a temperance song, yeah. That sounds like a promotional song. <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot like that, but I did see a temperance play at the old home day in Swansea, New Hampshire. Um, I don't think most places have stuff like this, but the old home day is, is the that week of the summer that you're supposed to return home to the place you're from or your parents are from or whatever, and just enjoy the festivals and that kind of thing, just to experience your town again, and. At this one, it was, I mean, this guy's lying in the gutter. You'd think everybody who ever drank a, a sip of uh, liquor uh, ended up in, in the gutter. Uh, but yeah, there you are. Uh, to come back to where I was starting. So anyway, in the 60s, you had that. And then, you know, when uh, powdered cocaine, which sort of brings us to the story we we're on, became very popular in the Studio 54 days, a lot of media attention there. Then we segued into crack cocaine, which there's a whole backstory on that with the Iran-Contra scandal and uh, the CIA and things like that that maybe someday we'll talk about. The government about. was bringing us drugs. All right. And then, uh, you know, we've gotten the, the, uh, the pill mills and then the fentanyl. Well, heroin was... Well, uh, and don't forget for, the, or, uh, the, the, the Afghan war. Have you seen the stories about uh, xylazine, known as Trank, and some of the no. videos of people that are, are I, allegedly on it? No, I miss all this kind it's of stuff. It's called the zombie drug. Huh? So when I read the, the print stories about it, I was like, okay, here, this, this just the, the drug of the decade that you're, we're going to talk about or the drug of the half decade we're going to talk about. And then I saw the videos of some of these neighborhoods and the people really do look like zombies. It's, you know, I've seen <laughs> plenty of, uh, you know, like Needle Park type stories where the junkies get together to shoot up or, or, you know, there's open drug use, open drug sales, but they look like people that are 
shooting up drugs and getting high and getting very high, maybe passing out, don't see people that are standing bent over like zombies motionless. I guess I have seen some pictures of this and just didn't know whether it's just somebody drunk or whatever the case is. I'm sorry for being square, um, but I, I just, you know, it's not the thing that I spend my time uh, considering. I, I think drugs are bad, but I think the war on drugs is worse that we've incarcerated generations of Americans that could be otherwise productive and for nothing, you know, that essentially we have the same percentage of the population zonked out on wham whams and zoom zooms as we did a hundred years ago. It's just different wham whams and zoom zooms. As you said that about the war on drugs, it's not labeled as a war on drugs, but two days ago, the Biden White House announced his plan to reduce Trank dope deaths. And I think that's their their euphemism or their phrase that they came out. Because none of the other uh other they say no to drugs. Are called in quotation marks trank dope. But there's uh, like trank zombie drug. That seems to be the the way it's uh phrased here. But yeah, another another uh square coming up with <laughs> the, the the name du jour. Yeah. You know, I, the Biden administration is going to be as successful at this as any other administration has been at stopping drug use, which is to say terrible. So to pitch to you with very little time to be able to talk to this, what if when I've talked to people about uh, sitting in with you and I, I say, yes, it's the, the number one libertarian show, two decades of, of, of you know, serving their audience and uh, – and people talk about libertarian and it's sort of like, oh, people just become libertarian because they want to do drugs or have sex. <laughs> um, what's the Republican that wants to do drugs? Uh, what a libertarian is? I've certainly, um, I'd say libertarians are far more principled on the issues of economics than the Republicans ever were. I think that the Republicans, when they start talking about economics, are lying, that uh, they use it as a cover for their graft. Um, and that that's the difficulty is, is that, uh, you know, the, the Democrats lie about caring about people <laughs> and the Republicans lie about caring about economics. I bet they care about some people. Uh, <laughs> I bet they do. Uh, Mark, we, we've got almost to the end of the hour here. We've got two more hours coming up. Uh, what are we, where are we going to go next hour? Well, um, you know, we've got all kinds of show prep, and uh, Henry, I'm going to let you pick the next one. That's what I think we're going to do. Ah. You got any ideas? Yes, I do. I, I was thinking about pronouns, but I think I want to go to Robert Kennedy Jr. He's getting a lot of press these days, and you want a crisis manager for president. And he managed yeah. the crisis just the other day when he was stuck <laughs> in a room full of drunk screaming and farting old white guys. And if that isn't a crisis for you, I'll tell you, it's going to be a crisis situation for me. I kind of like her. If I, I kind of like RFK. I, no. I gotta say, I'm kind of, kind of like RFK. So um, let's talk about this. Have what you talked talk? to him on your show before? He was at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. To my knowledge, we have not had him on Free Talk Live. We tend not to interview politicians. All right. Well, we'll find out more about that in just a few minutes. 
the Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church.shiresociety.com. Free Talk Live. Edgington Post Show. I am Mark Edge here. We are sponsored tonight by Free Talk Live on all up to 200 radio stations Free Talk Live has, and I am uh, delighted to be here once again. And tonight I have with me Henry Rains. Henry, thank you for sitting in with me. Mark, and yeah, we're <laughs> we're doing a show. Um, and we're talking about a guy that has been getting a lot of news recently. Uh, RFK Jr. Um, it, it seems like the uh, the mainstream press kind of loves him and hates him at the same time. You know, they they want to sh- they they want to paint him as a kook, but at the same time, you know, they he's a buff kook. They keep, they, he is he a buff is a kook. Shredded yeah. kook. He is. Uh, he is. He is a man in in great shape. I uh, can only envy his uh, his physique and. Well, I guess you got a story where he's trapped in a room of farting men, which sounds very much like the kind of story the media wants to write about this guy. I think you're projecting. Now, you're assuming (laughs) that if you're in a room with a lot of farting old men, you're trapped. But (laughs) you chose to be there. (laughs) It's like you choose to be president. Nobody just, other than in um, obscure movies like, uh, who knows what, where somebody becomes the president. He looks right. like the other president. I forget the name of that movie. Uh, and he, they, they pull him in to be the president. Or, you know, that, that's a, a Hollywood trope, I think they call, where the man on the street becomes president of the U.S. and brings some comedy. He's the only guy I, he's the only guy I trust. As far as I'm concerned, anybody who has what it takes to get to the office of president is a person that I do not want there. <laughs> you should automatically, if you want to be president, you should automatically be disqualified for being president. I've heard that too. Yeah, and I, I'm in. It's just levels of narcissism uh, when you look at the stage of the debate with the different candidates. And uh, but we're digressing a little bit, and we are talking about Robert Kennedy Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., RFK Jr., if you will. What is what does F stand for in this circumstance? Is it also Fitzgerald? Well, if you had asked me that off the air, I would have an answer for you, Mark. (laughs) Right. uh, I'll look while you go ahead. 
But okay. But I like the RFK. Uh, I believe way before he became a media personality, uh, I had heard a story about him. I mean, we're talking decades ago that when his dad, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., was killed uh, in that, um, that wherever the reception was after the California presidential primary, and they, the media, and remember there were just the th- the three major news networks. We didn't have all these other ways of getting our news. So it's not like uh, a viral moment here where you play it over and over again on your phone. Uh, But when you had something that happened on camera, say like Lee Harvey Oswald getting shot by Jack Ruby on live TV, they would play it over and over again. It was their version of a viral video back then where it's just shown and shown. And so they were showing the moments of Robert F. Kennedy Sr. getting shot and them being on the floor as they laid him out, the, the chaos and commotion of that. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Was, seen, was found in the hotel room just watching those images over and over and over again, um, just watching the news because back then they would cut into TV and it would just stay on TV for hours at a time. And whenever somebody finally went around to check and make sure he was okay, who knows how many times he had internalized all those videos. Uh, But then he becomes an adult. You know, I think I may have actually interviewed him once, too. And it probably would have been about a vaccine. Uh, It probably would have been one of those services that place spokespeople on your radio show. And I believe it would have been one of his um, skepticisms about vaccines back when you know, there was a lot of talk about uh, different childhood vaccines and autism and things like that. And now he has, uh, I guess, ridden uh, his not newfound fame, but resurgent fame from the anti-COVID vaccine appearances and media attention he got. Uh, Fast forwarding four decades now, you can be a viral video and never be on network TV. Uh, you has this way of finding. So there's a lot, I guess we can unpack about his candidacy after the fact, but I think Elon Musk has uh, verbalized support for him. Uh, and there's, I've even seen today when I was researching this, uh, maybe wishful thinking, maybe there's something that's been pondered or floated as an idea uh, that, uh, Donald Trump thinks he's a good vice presidential candidate. Uh, there's a lot well, he of has something in, he has something in common with Trump and uh, something that is liked by the American people. Um, some of the American people, obviously not all of them. Uh, all of the American people do not like Donald Trump. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what uh, it seems like Americans, uh, uh, some Americans think is, is they distrust politicians. And they want somebody who's an outside the beltway outsider kind of person, right? And I think RFK fits that. Who's in more some outside way. than a Kennedy? <laughs> then, right, than a Kennedy, right? Well, I'm not saying it's not funny. There's certainly some irony in it. By the way, his uh, middle name is Francis, as was his father's middle name. Um, eh, 
so, and I mean, but Trump was kind of an outsider to, I mean, you know, you're talking about somebody who definitely benefited from the system. It's hard to get too outside, but I think that's, that's probably a segment of the population wanted to see that they, they didn't want to see the Senator of 40 years rise to, uh, you know, by the way, stuff down his competition through what looks like collusion uh, in order to rise to the White House. I think that Biden is uh, considered the insider's insider. Uh, the the Biden administration or its campaign staff and all they 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 are worried about him as just a traditional Democratic challenger to the primary system. I think. I don't think he will hold up well under the scrutiny. Right now, the the media likes to build somebody up so they have a horse race. Yeah, sure. And I don't think that in the the glare of the debates, if if there are debates, or the the challenging that will come up, and the the some of his statements that will come forward, that it'll, the I, I think the the shine will come off a little bit. But right yeah. now, they are worried about that. They're worried about a lot of things. If they're worried about Cornell West, the uh, professor, that um, the the black civil rights uh, advocate, uh, is worried about him running on the Green Party. They're worried about a lot of things. But let's get to where I think it, it shows that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was shining uh, a bright light on a hill in a very difficult situation. And this comes to us courtesy of the New York Post, page six, where all great uh, hard news advocates go and find out what's going on of import. So at a press dinner to boost RFK's presidential campaign, uh, according to page six, it descended into a foul bout of screaming and not just ordinary farting, Mark, polemic (laughs) farting. Now, had you what ever is heard polemic that before? I thought polemic was educational. I thought it was some kind of um, verbalization. Um, but I wonder if I, I can highlight and get a it. speech or a piece of writing expressing uh, a strongly critical attack on a, on or controversial opinion about somebody or something. That is some articulate farting if you can do it polemically. I, I have to say, <laughs> I hadn't had much time to think about that, and it never occurred to me to try that. But anyway, the White House... Uh, I was thinking of the word pedagogic, I think. I'm sorry, pedagogic what? I was thinking of the word pedagogic, um, which was like uh, educational. I have to, to oh, look it okay. up. So educational farting. Well, perhaps. Right. Anyway, the affair was at Tony's on the Upper East Side. Have you ever eaten there, Mark? No. Do you even know anything about it? I don't. I'm just wondering because you get around no. a lot more than I do. I, fancy restaurants, you can, they're a dime a dozen. You can find one in every uh, town. People can cook good tasting food. We figured out the secrets of salt, sugar, and fat. Um, you don't need to go pay $200 a meal or whatever to, uh, to find it. So if you, if you want the world traveler's opinion on uh, expensive meals. All right. Well, on the other hand, if you want to get a bunch of hungry reporters to come cover you, what better way to do it than offer them an expensive dinner at Tony's on the Upper East Side? Exactly. Anyway, 
a shouting. There are man. definitely there are definitely restaurants I would be happier to get a free meal at than uh, ones that I wouldn't. Um, so, well, yeah. you are a member of the Fourth Estate. <laughs> I, I don't know whether anybody else in the Fourth Estate considers me to be a real member of the press, uh-huh. so but I do have the big ring of the Freedom of Speech Award. So there you go. Um, well, there were two boisterous old men there to start with, and uh, like the, I them, imagine. The, I imagine the two Muppets. <laughs> they probably resembled them. Although, you know, coincidentally, those two puppets have stuff up their anal cavity, too. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> but I digress again. I've done a lot of that. Anyway, a shouting match over climate change broke out. <laughs> those, those puppets... <laughs> have Democrats arms up their butts too. I think I think whoever fits up there it goes <laughs> up there. Um, well, I suspect that the uh, the, the Henson folks uh, just 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 guessing uh, performers and their proclivities are probably Democrats. Just a guess. I think any place that has multimillionaire owners, you got a chance that. Uh, Republican uh, appendage is nearby. Anyway, uh, it the the exchange began after a guest asked Kennedy, who also is the founder of the ecological organization Waterkeeper Alliance, about the environment. Uh, it seems the mere inquiry was enough to set off a drunk gossip columnist turned flack, Doug Dushert, or Doug Dishert, excuse me. Uh, Doug Dechert, uh, the host of the event. Okay, so let me parse that just a bit. The New York Post is calling this columnist, who I'm guessing doesn't work for the New York Post, a drunk gossip columnist. New York Post saying that this is a drunk gossip columnist. <laughs> well, he's the Post, you never know. They, they, they don't seem to have a problem. Pardon me. The post doesn't seem to have a problem with a little, uh, you know, lambast and belligerence. No. Well, I would like to hear what Doug Jeter says about the uh, the post, especially after he had a couple uh, knocked a couple down <laughs> in his opinion. But at this moment in time, he then screamed at the top of his lungs after that question, "Quote the climate hoax." Unquote. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, art critic, octogenarian art critic, the page six people want you to know, Anthony Hayden-Guest, Anthony Hayden-Guest, who appeared to have been sleeping happily for most of the dinner, was <laughs> roused by the abrupt rumpus. You know, we talked about biases early in this program. Uh-huh. And I think we may be seeing some here. I think so. Well, you know, the press, they tend to talk about each other. Tucker Carlson used to do this, too. He suddenly opened his eyes and denounced his longtime pal, Dechert, calling him, quote, miserable blob, shut up, implored Hayden Guest. Of course. It's a heck of a way for pals to behave to each other. Uh, Dechert then became more enraged, calling it again a hoax. And uh, Hayden Guest alleges that he was not asleep, 
I was just thinking he told us. I'm, t- I'm speaking for the Post. And he yes. said he is the one who asked the question about the environment. Ah, Dietrich continued to scream wildly about the climate change scam while Hayden guest peppered him with verbal volleys, call us, calling him variously effing insane and insignificant, which is how those New York members of Fourth Estate affectionately talk to each other. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kennedy, which is who this was about, he didn't want. We weren't talking about sleepy columnists when we started this. We weren't talking about no. sleepy columnists. We wanted to talk about a possible president of the United States. Uh, he watched calmly while all this was going down. And what else would you do? Why would you jump into that? Uh, Gaten stepped in. The, we already got that part about the miserable blog. Here it seems this is where the plot thickens. Dietrich sensed the need for a new rhetorical tack and let rip a loud prolonged fart while yelling as if to underscore his point, I'm farting. That would be great in a real presidential debate. When you want to <laughs> scoff at your opponent's uh, point they're making, to to be able to summon the volume the, the audio volume of a fart, not necessarily the gaseous volume of a fart, but get it so loud that it can be recognized by the boom mics on the stage and then take ownership of it by saying, I am farting. It is a... Farting for effect is, uh, is a tricky business. Um, it may not work. It may work way too well. you got to be very careful. Uh so I'm, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> what, what Just is, saying. How do you, you know, like if you're playing pickleball, which is a uh, passion of mine, you practice the same, same strokes over and over again and get them so you can do them consistently. So when you're trying to perfect your fart, do you have to, you know, you, you eat a certain food so that you can do it repeatedly consistently? Or do you just summon it up? I think it's it, it you know it's like a box of chocolates you just never know what you're going to get. All right. Well, now this is a paragraph that actually surpri- surprised me and not for the reason you might think in a story about farting old men. Uh, the room which how, we already talked was a handful of journalists also in attendance was RFK Jr.'s campaign manager. Now, do you know who that would, might be? It caught me totally by surprise. I'm no expert, now. It is former representative, congressional representative, and former presidential candidate, Dennis Kucinich, who oh, appeared wow. stunned and unsure about what to do uh, in the whole farting controversy that was going on. Dennis Kucinich, well, any thoughts on that? I it, it's been a long time since I was in the same room as Dennis Kucinich. I uh, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is I wonder if he's still married to his really hot wife. Uh, he had this uh, you know Jessica Rabbit, beautiful woman who was significantly younger than him uh, when he was campaigning, and I. I just wonder, I guess. I have a personal anecdote about Dennis Kucinich that we don't have time for in this segment, but we may. Well, then we still got to get to it, though. Yeah, but we will uh, on the other side. But we got to we have to deal with the crisis at hand. 
Well, let me, when, when you give that anecdote, I'm going to tell you about the time that uh, Ian Freeman gave the now president of the United States the hairy hand. I gave him a what? The hairy hand. All right. There's your teaser. We'll get into it. Okay. Well, let's finish this. Because we really, what we want to know is how the next president would handle this crisis. Have you, if you can handle a crisis like this, I mean, you could imagine being there with across the table from Putin. And all of a sudden, Putin's tooting. What are you going to do? <laughs> all nice right. one. <laughs> so, but in this case, the candidate maintained a steady composure in the face of the crisis. Uh, former Page Six reporter Flo Anthony attempted to change the subject at that point, telling Kennedy how much she admired his father, the tragic Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. And even through that, even through the screams and farts, on top of that, it said, Kennedy remained composed. But sadly and inexplicably, another guest brought things back to climate change, leading to another round of yelling. Uh, this sad, hap- sad happening was between friends of three decades, Dietrich and Hayden Guest. When asked to comment after the fact, Dietrich, who was, was he the farter? I've yes. already gotten. No, no, it was, the, was, it was the, the other guy. Was the um, anyway, the guy woke up. Anyway, I think we've we've covered this very well. And uh, anyway, well, how did RFK handle it? He basically waited for it to pass. He waited for the part <laughs> to pass and the moment to pass, and then during the rural battle, Hayden Guest told D-shirt, "I am done with you." But there there it goes. We have put out there for everyone's perusal how RFK handles a farting crisis. And they can judge for themselves where they're going to take their support of RFK Jr. next. Any thoughts about this? Well, RFK was at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, um, where I have been many years. I've spent many, many, much time at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And apparently, which is, this is a very big deal. In New Hampshire, at a libertarian event, the, the largest libertarian event in the world, he, if you wanted to go see him, you had to be disarmed. And many people are carrying around, I mean, I've seen people carrying around rifles at this event. Um, and I, I, RFK is the only one who had the poll to get it done. Well, also RFK and really any member of the Kennedy family has a right to be a little bit worried about men and or, and or women bearing arms near them. Indeed. Yes. Well, I think we've uh, covered that situation. We have an anecdote. But what, he doesn't, what he doesn't have a right to. Is to be is to speak at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. That's something they had to give him. Well, some some concerns transcend any location or event. <laughs> but coming up on the other side of the break, I've got a Dennis Kucinich anecdote for you. We've got still got to dive into pronouns and much more. Uh, Mark, we'll see you on the other side of the break here.
Welcome back to the Edgington Post. It is Mark Edge here. Uh, I'm going to call this the Edge and Reigns. How about Reigns and Edge? Which one do you like, Henry? I would reserve judgment right now. I like Reignsy Edge or Edgy Reigns or... <laughs> we can, I don't know. We can, How about the Reignsington Post? <laughs> you, you, yeah, we could do one of those Brangela things. Like, can call ourselves uh, Reg. <laughs> or or Henark. <laughs> and we don't right. find itself. I, I think you need to let things evolve and organically progress. You know, almost like like a, a, a aspirational vegan broadcasting ethos. Speaking of organic. It looks like uh, it looks like Dennis Kucinich found his wife because he's vegan. Yes, Elizabeth, his wife that we discussed in the last uh, segment, is still his wife, which caught us both by surprise. Uh, they have been married since two thousand five, I believe. I already closed yep. that window because so I wouldn't be distracted by the many images of her. Uh, but she is a striking woman, a professor, uh, looks like could easily have made a living as a model and is the third wife of Dennis Kucinich, but uh, they're still together. And uh, congratulations to them. And they're, they're like a Hallmark movie. Happy anniversary to you both. Yes. So I said that I had some actual interaction with Dennis Kucinich. Uh, but before we leave the wife topic, I did have reports that th- this would have been the uh, a presidential campaign of 2004, which sounds unusual. So they must have been, I guess if they got married in 2005, I may have to go back and check this again. Anyway, they were quite attached to each other back during that campaign because I was told by people authorized to tell me because they didn't swear secrecy to anybody that at certain campaign events, like not their personal, not at a Kucinich campaign event, but as a, you know, when they all get together for a debate or it's a, a, a enterprise that's putting on a meeting that they come to that when things were not requiring their immediate attention to the crowd, they would be back in the back of the room, canoodling with each other. Um, I, that's probably the only time I've ever used that word, but it was the only like uh, mild term I could think of for what they might have been doing in the back room. Not the back room, excuse me, the back of the room. There was, not, the there was no room. witnesses in the back room. This was in the open room with many people. And I got to think that that's a that's an endorsement for a campaign that <laughs> I, I would think very highly of any presidential candidate that would put that out there for me, being a Dennis Kucinich type person with an Elizabeth Kucinich type person. Yeah. For those that don't know, Dennis Kucinich is a, is not the tallest man around. And uh, you're right. I think to, to describe Elizabeth Kucinich as uh, model material is completely appropriate. Very tall, um, tall, slender, very striking. And not to be superficial, and, she's also a professor. She's also uh, yep. quite accomplished in her professional career. Uh, she was excellent at the debate. Uh, there was a debate that, or I, I'll call it a campaign uh, stop, 
that I happened to be at. Uh, she and I, uh, Dennis Kucinich wasn't there at that particular one. Um, yeah, she can stand on her own two feet. There's no doubt about it. The, uh, that would have had to have been for the 2008 campaign. I was there, uh, you know, stumping for Ron Paul uh, because I was not in New Hampshire in 2004. So uh, together in your timeline. Dennis Kucinich versus Ron Paul in a debate would be a, would have been a very entertaining debate. Oh, they're friends. Well, I would think so. Yeah, and, um, they're probably the, the only two. Show, they were probably the only two principled people in Congress at the time, and they actually co-sponsored bills together. Well, the the anecdote about Dennis Kucinich, I had a chance both to talk to him on the air prior and then meet him when he was doing a campaign appearance in St. Petersburg at the junior college. And so this would have been late in the 2004 Democratic primary. It was pretty much just down to um, John Kerry at that point in time. And Dennis Kucinich was, had not officially dropped out yet. And Bud Beck was the radio show I was participating on. I book his guests and I usually would be on air one of the three hours that he was on every morning. And we were interviewing Dennis Kucinich. I think we had him on more than one time. And I had suggested off the air to, to Bud Beck, I said, well, you know, he's anti-war in Iraq. You're anti-war in Iraq. Kerry pretty much has this a lock anyway, as far as the delegates committed. I, I said, why don't you make an endorsement on principle and for self-interest? Uh, of Dennis Kucinich. You know, you can go out, you can uh, make the point that uh, you're endorsing him because of the stand on the Iraq war, and you're trying to pull the the uh, platform of the Democratic Convention towards an, the anti-Iraq war stand. And on the other hand, you're not going to get any attention for endorsing John Kerry when he's already won, but nope. people will... Notice if you endorse Dennis Kucinich. And that turned out to be very right. Uh, he announced it to Dennis Kucinich on the air. Uh, and that was in Tampa Bay on the morning show. And Dennis Kucinich was just, uh, he didn't know it was coming. He was surprised by it. And you could hear the surprise and uh, gratitude and happiness in his voice. And I had suggested to Bud off the air also that when people say, well, he has no chance, I said, well, I think we can suggest that he's, he's employing the NASCAR strategy. The NASCAR strategy being he's drafting the leader. You know how in a, a race with NASCAR, they, they ride by, closely behind the, the leader of the, uh, the pack. And the, the draft of the race car pulls the other car along, makes it a little bit easier to go, cuts through the wind. And then you see right at the end, the, the secondary driver will come around the last turn, accelerate, and you like a slingshot, the draft will propel them over the finish line uh, in front of the leader. And Bud was like, oh, that sounds great. And... So we're telling Dennis Kucinich 
on the air and, and Buddy even gives me credit. He goes, you know, Henry has this uh, theory about your, your strategy and, and how this is going to work out for you. And he proceeded to tell him what I just told you. And Dennis Kucinich is there is this moment of silence and he goes, yeah. <laughs> he, he certainly had not thought of that before, but we brought him to a self-awareness of what his human potential was in this race. And so it was, uh, it was just like the next day or uh, that week that he was going to be in our area in St. Pete. And so Bud and I made the drive up there and, uh, let one of his staff people know we're there. So he's he's addressing the students and teachers in a relatively large room and uh, not an auditorium, but a big room, big, big, very big classroom. And then uh, we're asked to come back to the back room of the the classroom there. And he's he greets and he and he says, Bud Henry, and he gives us hugs. <laughs> It's like so happy to see us. And I was like, oh, this is this is wonderful. I this is almost as good for me as it is for him. And uh so all my memories of Dennis Kucinich are happy ones. But that, I, that was the anecdote. So Well, uh you know, I can't say that Dennis Kucinich is uh, my favorite candidate, but I do believe that he believes everything he says, which is the highest honor I could give a politician. Um, I must say that. Well, now I have to pay off on my story about uh, my co-host, Ian Freeman, um, my longtime co-host, Ian Freeman. You're my co-host now. <laughs> and him giving what I called the hairy hand. Now, I don't think that this... Hairy hand? Yes, the hairy hand. This is what it's called. If you'll recall back in like the 80s, the whole stick out your hand for a handshake thing. And when the person goes in to give you the handshake, you pull the hand back and run it through your hair. Oh, that's the, yes, I know that. And there, I'll tell you the whole story now. So uh, we were at the, the radio records talk radio seminar in Washington, D.C., I believe. It could have been in New York. It moved around. And this was the year pushed. And it was on the stage. If you wanted to have the free rubber chicken or the included rubber chicken dinner, right, uh, at lunch, you had to sit through the, uh, you know, the stage performance. Well, it was... Uh, the, the, one of their new hosts, Rachel Maddow. And I could tell by watching about half of this, this lady was going places. She was good. And she was interviewing the senior uh, senator from Delaware at the time. And, you know, I mean, it's not like he was unheard of. It was Joe Biden, yes. Uh, it's not like the guy was unheard of, but he wasn't terribly important at this time frame. I'm going to guess the year at 2005. Uh, I'd have to look it up, and I don't know for sure. But for those who know when Air America came, then that's your clue. Well, he had his uh, chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, and the Senate helped uh, facilitate the resolution to go to war in Iraq. So he did have a little bit of influence. 
I, you know, I'm not saying I didn't know who he was, but I, I certainly wasn't starstruck. Um, no. You know, I just wanted to get my meal and get out. And so, uh, you know, she's doing this sort of interview with him on stage and their chairs are both turned 45 degrees so that they're 90 degrees to each other, kind of talking and doing an interview, but they're facing the audience sort of at the same time. And then on the last question, you know, of course, this is all scripted. They've all, well, I don't know what's scripted. He's, they've got the questions in advance and Joe Biden answers the question. Um, and as he's giving the last final 30 seconds, he, you know, turns his body and his rises from his seat and a, com- rise, raises his hands up over his head to the audience. This is a room full of Republican talk show hosts. Raises his hands for the applause as he gives the final word. It's crickets. And then boos. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it couldn't have been a worse audience. And then this soulless man runs to the front, to the, to the door where everybody's, you know, now piling out, getting ready to pile out. Um, he gets to the door and he's shaking hands on the way out. Uh, Ian and I were at one of the tables uh, closest to the door. We, we couldn't have cared less about who was uh, talking one way or the other. We, we, we think both sides are criminals, but um, I went through the door first and Joe Biden, you know, grabbed my hand, and my shook my arm and, uh, you know, I said, yeah, thanks. And Ian uh, saw that what was coming to him next was is that he was going to be accosted by this politician, stuck at his hand for the handshake. Then as he as Joe Biden went for it, took the bait, he pulls it back, sl- slides it through his hair. And then, you know, all the people behind him uproariously. Uh, uh, I mean, that was the uh, the long and the short of the joke. I can't imagine why Joe Biden ever took this game. What was his handshake like for you? He grabbed both hands and like shook faster than I could shake. Hmm. So, well, that's so he had a good, firm, he, manly handshake. Oh yeah, it wasn't. Uh, he wasn't uh, not doing that much. I'm sure he's had lots of practice. You know, look you right in the eye, shake your hand, that kind of thing. How did he react to um, Ian when he ha- when he did it? I believe he went. Psh, come on. Hmm. And then he went back to shaking hands, and you know. I'm trying to visualize that. I'm try- actually, I'm trying to visualize how much hair Joe Biden would have had at that time. He had more. It was a full set of white hair. Yeah, it's getting yeah. pretty thin. Well, it, he's the oldest guy to ever hold the office. See, I thought you were going to tell me that Ian has a hairy hand for some reason. <laughs> well, that's, that's an old story that uh, I'm sure people have heard of, but um, you know, not. Not that in particular, no. So I I was looking yesterday, just because I look at these sorts of things, and I was looking at the poll numbers between Biden and Trump and DeSantis and all these sorts of things, just kind of wondering what was going to happen. You know, polls will give you a picture um, into what's going on, but, you know, can't be for, you can't be sure. Um, and I was at 538. I'm sure you've heard of this uh, site and their uh, yeah, notorious prediction that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And she did, by the way, get the popular vote. 
But uh, I was looking at uh, the numbers, and it looks like Trump and DeSantis are separated wider than they have been so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that Trump's basically at 50 to 55%, and that DeSantis is at 20 to 25% of the Republican likely vote. So I don't know if you're prepared to call it for Trump, but um, you know he's certainly in the lead at this moment. Well, and I definitely I, think I would take, personally, I would take anybody but Biden and anybody but Trump. Uh, boy, ha- being a native Floridian and uh, having lived under the last few Republican governors, uh, I would. The Santis, I have a great aversion to to him. Um, the, but I th- do think we can. I think DeSantis has peaked way too early. He became a darling on Fox News, and there are without getting into policy issues, uh, which I'd be happy to do if, if that were what it was called for, but. I noticed some of his personality traits that made him an extremely weak candidate very early um, that, and, and I'll give it from a very practical point of view. We didn't talk about talking about this, but so for those of you that don't know geographically where I'm located, Manatee County is on the South side of Tampa Bay. And it's ancient history now, but when the vaccines first started coming out, uh, many of you, and we'll we'll put aside how, whatever you think about the effectiveness of the vaccine or not, there was a great demand for vaccines. And our county commission here uh, is, at the time, was six to one Republican. It was basically one party rule in this county. It's been one party rule for the last 20 years. And the portion of my life, yeah. And the 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 chair Vanessa Baugh, uh was, um, well, she was the chair of the county commission. She she had a lot of influence over the bureau, bureaucracy of the county. There's four hundred thousand people in the county. It's a big county government, largest employer, uh, or maybe second to only to the school board, and. So the vaccines are being distributed. They were being distributed back then. This, again, was early. It was by a lottery system and also by an age system. So seniors, like over 65, were in the first batch to get it. And then also there was somewhat of a lottery system because there weren't enough to go around. Well, they're gonna, at that time, Governor DeSantis was very pro-vaccine and especially taking credit for the vaccine. You might remember that Donald Trump took a lot of credit for the vaccine when it started coming out. And DeSantis uh, was having pop-up vaccine distribution centers around the state. And he was going to have one in Manatee County. Now, the one thing I can say for uh, Governor DeSantis is I don't think he knew what was going on behind the scenes with Vanessa Baugh. So the local county commissioner, this is all documented. There was an ethics complaint that played out against her in Tallahassee. Took about a year and a half, but she admitted guilt on this and apologized, et cetera. There's a paper trail or a digital trail, if you will, with her telling somebody in the emergency management 
that she wanted the lottery for these people that would receive the vaccine to come from two precincts in her district, which happened to be the wealthiest, whitest districts in the county. And also she wanted special exemptions for a handful of uh, individuals that were very influential in the Republican Party here and in her support uh, of her election. In other words, she owed them favors. So she wanted her wealthiest districts, her biggest supporting uh, precincts in her district, and her biggest uh, supporter, financial supporters, to get first dibs on this special allocation of vaccines. So all this played out, and it the the news of it so broke. People, by so the people in the government use their position to reward their friends and punish their enemies. Well, that not only that, happened? but for a life and death matter, at least in the perception of the people involved. Right. The, 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 these vaccines, at the beginning of this, they were viewed as a ticket for life or death. And so it broke... Oh, and she also had her name put on the list, too. She didn't live in the precincts. Well, by the time Governor DeSantis came here, that news had broken. And Vanessa Baugh took her name off the list, but the, it proceeded. And then at the press uh, access at the event, the one of the reporters said, well, what did you think about this, Governor DeSantis? And now just from a practical point of view, from a political point of view, you're in a county that had voted overwhelmingly for you, 60 to 40 percent. You're in your, one of your strongest financial supporting districts and one of your f- biggest voter supporting districts. And rather than say, I want everybody to get equal access to the vaccines, I have no knowledge of this, we'll look into it. Isn't that a very milquetoast uh easy way to deflect that question mark as a member of the press. Wouldn't that how it would be logically to deflect it? I almost wouldn't ask the question because that would be my expected answer. Well, yes, but the question was asked. That was how he had to answer it. No, he answered it. Well, if there's a problem, we can just take these vaccines elsewhere. (laughs) Then just a month or so later, he's down in, uh, Lee County, Fort Myers, another equally supportive area of his. He's talking to the people that support him. And they had a problem in that they weren't getting uh, access to the vaccines, uh, not because of any kind of description like I just had, but because just the distribution had not gone into Lee County. So when he's there and he's asked the question, he just, he couldn't say, he couldn't bring himself to say, he's so thin-skinned, he's so sensitive, that when he was asked, what can be done about this, rather than say, I will have my staff look into this, we want everybody to have access, he said, well, maybe if you don't like it, you should go to another county. That is Governor DeSantis's personality traits, just to name one, that struck me as a person that is not ready for prime time in a presidential campaign. So you're saying you'd prefer to have Donald Trump? (sighs) Well, at least he's got on-the-job training. He certainly does have on-the-job training. That much is true. We never Um, get the pronouns in this segment. 
We can get to pronouns. Pronouns coming up. Real quick, I just want to talk about the comparison between favorability and unfavorability in both Trump and Biden. Very quick. And these guys are are almost neck and neck. Um, You know, at this moment, uh, 538 is calling Biden, excuse me, uh, Trump uh, 56.3% unfavorable and Biden 54.3% unfavorable. So they're within the margin of error on favorability and unfavorability. They're neck and neck. Welcome back to the Edgington Post. It's Mark Edge. I'm here with Henry Rains. And, well, we're going to kick off the third hour here talking about a topic that seems to get far more interest on the Internet than it should, in my opinion. Pronouns. 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 Henry, I think think we should just start on this with uh, our opinion to to begin with as opposed to – you know what? Because there's no story on this. It's just I don't think of, we uh, could have something. a language without pronouns. That's my opinion. Yeah, you got to have pronouns. There's absolutely true. But now everybody wants to scramble, right? Like pronouns have largely been there have been rules surrounding pronouns in the English language for a couple of centuries. But now we want to mix them up a little bit, and or some people want to mix them up a little bit. And uh, you know, it's a it's a tough road to hoe. Haven't we been mixing Uh, them up all along with like, because it used to be you and me and thee and thou. And I mean, language changes. It does. It absolutely changes. It rarely changes so intentionally, though. It usually changes just um, to be, you know, make make people happy, Um, convenience, ease, things like that. Um, And. Now that I guess uh, the first thing is, is that there is no consensus on how it should change. Right. There's like nine different sets of pronouns out there that are non-gender pronouns. Such as. And then such as like G and Z and Zer and Zer. I could look them up. For I thought you, you meant like they more. and them. They and them. It's a freaking atrocity of the English language. Oh, you got me confused. So they, them, using they, them um, in the singular form, at least in the newer fashions, it certainly is used in a singular form, right? Like, uh, you know, there, there's a man uh, that I think there's probably a person over there trying to touch that tree and they had better be careful. It's poisonous, right? Like that, it, it does get used in the singular form. However, my son, uh, my son recently scored well on a math test, and I am so proud of them. That's a freaking mess of a sentence, and it confuses people. 
I think you just made that more uh, skewed to what the argument than the word itself means. I can say, using your example, there is yep. a poisonous plant over there. If someone comes over there, they need to be careful. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I exactly right. That's a good usage. Done anything that you just said I might be doing if I was saying something like that. All I'm saying is is that I have seen the application of they them in replacement of he her he and her and excuse me, you know, uh, he him and she her and it is a mess mess. Okay. So and I think if, you preface that, and to, that there is and a, to act like and when people act like there's some kind of uh, hate crime that's been committed because I will not play singular plural games with a hate them. crime. What's that? Who who has said there is a hate crime there? There's a fat blue-haired lesbian that says so. Excuse me. Well, who did you is say? Is there not? Who did you say? I said a fat blue-haired lesbian. There's nobody in that room with you. You haven't offended anybody <laughs> yet. Well, no, there's nobody in this room. But believe me, I can go online and find people that are offended because I won't use they them. As a matter of fact, I did that happened to me just recently on Facebook. Somebody said that everybody should use different pronouns than you like on you then. I'm like, "Go ahead." See, it's taken us two hours because really at the beginning of this, when you were trying to tell the audience what we were trying to do here, what you're, you would like us to do and what this might be, you said there, there, we both would have strong opinions and we both would take it to each other. And I would submit to you or I would opine to you that what we should say is there is a movement to take pronouns that are non-gender specific and use them on individuals. And you have a problem with that, and I don't, but now you explain your problem. I think we just put the horse in front of the uh, back of the cart again. Well, I don't know how to solve what it is that you're complaining about, but I can certainly say what it is uh, that I think. And here's what I think. I think that um, it's fine if somebody wants to transition from one gender to another, right? Like if uh, sex is what you're born as, right? And gender is what you think you are on the inside. And that you, there's two choices. Or maybe you get to pick you are on the inside. What, it may be what you are in the you inside. You might be neurodiverse. I mean, what's, the, what's the difference between thinking it and being it? What is it? Okay. Like my gen, my gender, which is exists because my gen, my gender exists specifically and wholly in my head, and my head is for thinking. So if I think I'm male, I'm male, right? You're setting up straw men arguments for you to knock down, or straw women arguments, or maybe all of them arguments are straw them's. But what I'm asking you now, so that we okay. can get on the same page. Is do you believe that people are neurodiverse? I don't know what that terminology means. Could okay. you define it for so, me? Uh, uh, we're not conflating uh, autistic people or people with uh, autism syndromes with people that have different genders. 
but you the the person that is diagnosed with some kind of autism uh, symptom or syndrome didn't think, oh, I am autistic. They just are. So if their nervous system is perceiving something differently or sending them different signals than what you or I might see in the same situation or feel in the same situation, they would be diverse. Sure, I'll concede that point. I don't know in time. Like, it sounds like, it sounds like the cart and the horse, uh, again, like we're arguing whether the engine's in the front or the back of a Carmen Ghia, you know, here, and I don't know. No, it's totally different from what you're saying. You're saying that they think, therefore they were going to uh, interpret them themselves rather than the, it could be an internal uh, manifestation that they are, be just like when you, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? But anyway, you're you're using the word they think they are. No, they could be thinking they are, or maybe they just are. I don't know the answer, right? Like I have only existed in one body, and if somebody wants to pound the pulpit that. Uh, you know, hey, look, I'm the gender that I am because this is how I was born versus this is what I was socialized to be because you and I would probably be different beings if men were socialized to wear dresses and receive flowers on their birthday and uh, stay home and cook, right? Like that would, it would be a different world if that was the case. I don't know. And for the sake of the, the sort of Socratic method here, I'm willing to concede, sure, let's move on with the conversation, fine. Women are a thing, and they're born that way, and men are a thing, and they're born that way. So are we talking about sex or gender now? <laughs> I don't know, and that's where it gets all confusing, and I think that people use that confusion to uh, express their uniqueness when there are so many better ways to express one's uniqueness, right? Like, so if I identified as an Apache helicopter, that's been used before um, as my gender, then who is anybody to say otherwise? The consensus of the people that you're dealing with probably are not going to accept an Apache helicopter, something that was built in a factory as an individual. Let's, just bring this back to something that you started with and that the, the language and the language changing and most people 20 years ago would not ha be having this conversation we're having. They would think that though the words of her description of sexual organs and sexual anatomies is the same as when we're talking about gender, but something has Agreed. happened and the, the culture has changed or is changing, that those are two different things now. Gender is yep. a, a spectrum of, of existence. And when I choose not to use plural pronouns to describe something or someone that is singular, that isn't a violation of that person's human rights. That is a decision I choose to make. Like, I refuse. And that's where I've stopped, right? Like I'm willing to accept gender transition. I'm willing to accept, uh, you know, I'm willing to hire 
people who, men who wear dresses. I'm willing to do all varieties of things, but I am not going to change my opinion that uh, singular is plural and plural is singular. All right. I won't try and change it. <laughs> That's all I would say. And I, here's what I think is, is that uh, this pronoun thing has become an interesting lever for people because when I say that my pronouns are je and je and you don't use them and you refuse to use them, I can become progressively, uh, you know, more upset and I can go to human uh, HR and I can complain and, uh, you know, all varieties of bad things can happen to you because you don't want to play my game. I, I think and I think that's wrong. Just scenarios you're creating. Why don't we pick out something that's actually happening in the world and talk about that? But before we go right. through that, what was the pronouns that you used as an example of that you were being asked to be referred by? Uh, in my imaginary situation, I was using G. Sure. So you were making up words. No, um, <laughs> you go to springfield.edu uh, slash gender pronouns, uh, blah, 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 blah. And you can see that there are, uh, there's she, he, they, name. That's a pronoun. The pronoun is name. Um, it is, uh, it goes from name. How do you spell name, the first one? She. Yeah. S H E. Oh, it's she, her, hers. It sounds herself. like you're saying G. Well, the G was another one. Now I'm looking down here at the bottom. There is Z. They don't. Um, it, you know, I just looked up uh, pronouns, um, and there's Z, Zir, Z, uh, Zers, and Zerself. There's also that can vary with a here, okay. here's, well, and yourself. Uh, suggest Confused that you have so many pronouns it becomes absurd to try and keep track of all of them. Like 47 of them. All right. So, but let's bring it back to something mm -hmm. that's more in the real world. It's where you have uh, a, someone that doesn't identify as purely male or female, and maybe there are, they are asking for some other way of being identified with a pronoun. And we won't have to go through all the 47 pronouns to, to go through examples. You don't want to use, learn how to use uh, Z, Zerself, Ver, Verself, E, Ms, and Earself? No, I just don't want to try and do that in 30 seconds <laughs> when I can't even understand your pronunciation of some of them. So I thought it might be better if we go with someone that uh, a real news story, as opposed yep. to scenarios we're creating, something that has traction in the media that's got people upset without even having to go into the 47th pronoun. We could probably stop at seven or eight pronouns and people are already upset with them. And I've had it brought up to me uh, at the recreation center, at the gym, at the pickleball court. I hear people talking about it. And it's a story that just from the, the last week has gotten traction. And it basically is a story that is being 
propagated by people with an agenda that has nothing to do with what the real story is. And that is the supposed law in Michigan that will uh, cause you to be thrown in jail or fined $20,000 and charged with a hate crime if you don't use the pronoun that the person you're addressing uh, identifies with, which is total uh, shizzle for whatever people are talking about. So could we at least look at the story first? Let's go ahead and look at the story. All right. So the story that is going on is spread rapidly. Misinformation, as I said. They're talking about in Michigan House Bill 4474. You don't have to take a note on that. You can just listen and say it's the pronoun bill. But it's like sort of this don't say gay bill. It's not a don't say gay bill. It's not a pronoun bill, but it does have a, another meaning. And we can look at that. And that is about adding other classes of people to hate crimes. The Michigan hate crime law is was a, uh, established in 1988. And if you were around in 1988, you probably noticed the difference between a lot of things that got people upset in 1988 and what gets people upset now. All right. So the the original law would have been, you know, uh, racial groups, uh, some other groups like that. And what it does, it does make transgender people or people of uh, other genders a protected class. Now, what the... The phrases that people that are trying to make the point that you are under uh, the possibility of imprisonment or fines or some kind of legal action against you is that the text says that any action that, and this is the quote, threatens by word or act is interpreted to mean something that if you use the wrong pronoun for someone that you have threatened by word or act. But an actual uh, Republican who has voted for the bill in the Michigan legislature, Representative Graham Filler, says it doesn't criminalize words in the pulpit. You're not going to have a, a pastor that if he expresses his uh, position or the church's position on gender or sexuality, it doesn't do any of that. A hate crime makes it illegal to intimidate someone based on actual or perceived characteristics, and it's defined as a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continuing harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, threatened, or that actually causes the victim to feel threat terrorized, frightened, or threatened. You know, you're talking about intimidating. You're talking about threatening violence, the, the Republican state rep says. I've seen people get arrested for, uh, you know, being threatening by simply saying that, uh, you know, that uh, using the legal system to get what you want is a violent act, right? Like, I've literally seen, what's that? Give me an example, please. Right. My uh, co-host, Ian, had, uh, when he moved into his house, there was a couch on his lawn. And because he is a recalcitrant, difficult person to deal with, he refused to move the couch. And a city bureaucrat, um, uh, you know, uh, oh, excuse me, he called into a radio program 
a local radio program, said to a city bureaucrat that her advocation for more laws in, and I can't remember what the area was, was violence, that she was using the police to perpetrate violence that she herself wouldn't do. And she lived on the same street as him. She drove by, she saw the couch, she called the law. The law came in, uh, cited him, he refused to move it. They took him to court. He, uh, you know, was, he was attempting to talk to the judge about it. The judge threw him in jail for contempt. And uh, they drug him back out the next day for allocution. He allocuted. And that was a, from a Friday to a Monday. So it was like three days. And he uh, was, uh, you know, fined and told to get the, uh, the couch off the lawn. Um, when he wasn't around one day, I came and had the couch loaded up in my pickup truck and drove it away. Um, that's what happened. So however unjust that was, how does that relate to this law? People can reasonably uh, assume that if somebody in power, i.e. a government bureaucrat, wants to enforce their interpretation of the law as opposed to the law itself, that's the way you may interpret it now, right, that they will get their way. And um, as far as I'm concerned, Fear. there shouldn't be a hate. There shouldn't be a hate crime uh, well, I know. law. I know we can period. talk about that. And this is the this is the slippery slope right? because right this is what's coming. They may be wrong on this particular law, and I'm not saying that I agree or disagree. What I'm saying is it's coming at some point in the future. Somebody with purple hair and ambiguous uh, uh, outward gender is going to put out a my pronouns, it's a hate crime against me. Believe me, it's coming, Henry. Um, my claim is, is that it is coming, that somebody with purple hair is going to be in a legislative position. They're going to put forward a law. It's going to say, if you don't use my gender, if you don't use my pronouns, you have committed a hate crime against me. Yes. But that's not the law now. That's, that's not what's in this law. You're saying well, that you're going it's to... Not the way you, it's not the way you... Or a politician that is voting to pass it, interpret it. But All that's the kind of the problem. Is that, fear, and your examples are motivated by fear. We're going to have to take this. Well, up. wait a second, Henry. This isn't the first time this kind of thing happened. Armed burglary was probably intended to be a law that said if you bring a gun while doing a burglary, it's a bad thing. But now it is enforced as if you steal a gun from a house, you've committed armed burglary. There's all kinds of mission creep in laws. More on this when we come back. The LRN.FM social media channels have been revamped. We've eliminated Facebook and focused on other platforms like Twitter and Mastodon, the decentralized alternative to Twitter. On our accounts, you'll find posts from multiple LRN.FM show hosts together in one place. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.lrn.fm, or better yet, move to the decentralized Mastodon social media platform at toot.lrn.fm, T-O-O-T.lrn.fm. I think you'll like it.
everyone, it's Henry Rays here, and this is my inaugural debut on the, I guess that's redundant, inaugural debut, but uh, on the <laughs> host here of Free Talk Live, Mark Edge is just holding his uh, words for a moment to give me a chance to get started on this final uh, trip around the topic of the Michigan law that adds protected classes to the 1988 hate crime law of Michigan. Uh, What was said in many stories around the country, and even, uh, we're not gonna mention any individual's name, but I've seen some posts from very esteemed people in the legal profession, even talking about how they're worried that you're gonna be thrown in jail, that you're going to be fined, that this is uh, attack to attempt to silence people. House Bill 4474 in Michigan. It hasn't even become law yet because it has to pass the Senate there. Uh, Adds protective classes, as I said, to the 1988 hate crime bill. And what is seems to be the issue with many of the people that are putting these stories out here, and I've heard this also from just your man on the street, if you will, or him on the street or her on the street or them on the street. The the text says that if you threaten by word or act, that is in the, the law. I actually have the law too, but I, I don't want to pull, try and get too technical on this. It doesn't criminalize words. This is what Representative Graham Filler and a Republican in the Michigan legislature said. It goes to the hate crime and under the legislation, Intimidation is described as, quote, a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continuing harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened, and that actually causes the victim to be feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened. So let me just parse that a little bit. So there were two parts of that sentence. One is if the reasonable person, uh, a reasonable person, as in the jury, feels that the behavior would cause an individual to feel this way. And then it's not or, it's an and. And the person that is alleged to be the victim feels that way. So reasonable people on the jury have to agree that they should have, the victim should have felt terrorized, frightened, or threatened. And the victim actually has to say that that's how they felt. And as uh, Representative Filler says, you're talking about intimidating threatening violence. He also goes on to quote, this is not a sardonic teller at the bank, who I guess there's still banks with tellers that will be sardonic to you and not use the the pronoun or refer to you as Mr. or Ms. or whatever you want. Anyway, the so we have an ongoing uh, w- conduct. So you, it's not a one-off. It's not that you were... Uh, with somebody and they said, oh, they were in your face and they're not going to call you what you asked them to do. It would have to be something that went beyond there. It is have to be like, I don't think you're a man. I think you're a woman and I'm going to kick your butt. That would be a threat. All right. So now let's pick this up again for people that are just joining us. Mark, you are saying that you're well, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth. I heard that you are worried about how this mission creep on the law 
or the over-enthusiastic uh, prosecutors will use this law. Well, it's not like it's never been done before. In fact, it's, uh, you know, these sorts of things are done all the time. And I do believe that there are people out there that interpret my lack of use of their or other people's pronouns um, as a hate crime. Like, they interpret it that way. Now, are they, uh, do they meet the reasonable person standard? I, I would say that the vast majority of cases in the United States never reach a jury. Like, I'm willing to go ahead and say 99.9% of cases don't reach a jury. So the opinion that a jury has is far less important than the opinion that a government bureaucrat that wants to get fame and fortune and perhaps be elected as the attorney general or even uh, has aspirations to governorhood, maybe even the presidency um, might very well, you know, just go ahead and say, this is a great case to make my chops on. So, yeah. So let's, let's, let's go that direction. So you're in Michigan, and you're in Well, a, I mean, this isn't just about Michigan, though. I mean, and this is the news story, but it's coming, but then and there's 50 the states. Thing all these other media outlets are doing and just not going but with the facts. The facts is it's not even a Michigan law yet, but we're going to the, take that one leap that it becomes a Michigan law, and then it would have to be a local state's attorney that would bring this case. So you'd have to have a victim or a person that alleges they were a victim go to a state attorney and the state attorney would want to take that to trial in front of a judge. And it's possible. Sure, it's possible, but it's highly unlikely. And it's more likely that if they did that, they'd get thrown out of court. I think what's more likely is not a criminal charge, but a civil suit where um, you don't need a reasonable doubt uh, threshold. You simply need a um, a majority of the jury. And you have just a person who says, you know, uh, they fired me, but they really hated me because of my, you know, whatever non-binary hood or whatever the situation is. And as I, as evidence to this is that not my direct supervisor, but the supervisor that was adjacent to the direct supervisor refused to use my pronouns on several occasions. And, uh, you know, I'd like a $1 million settlement. And then you have a business that is driven out of the state of Michigan into the arms of places like Florida only empowering the other side because I'm not the kind of person here that says that all these people are kooks. I simply have a line in the sand that says, I don't believe that one should have to use plural pronouns to describe a singular situation. All right. Tell me if I misstate anything here of of what you just said. Uh, uh, These excesses that could happen in, as you constructed them um, in the civil case, I don't know that you can bring a hate crime in civil court. I think that it's, has to be a. Uh, but I think that the hate crime is hate crimes. You could, pardon me. I think the hate crime is hate crimes, right? Like I don't think we should that beating somebody up 
for one reason or another. We're getting off point here. Matters. We're going to run out of show before we have <laughs> even come to some kind of settlement here. So, but I'm giving you this. I'm saying someone could allege damages and they could go to civil court on this. Yeah. And that person could either have good intent or bad intent. They could be greedy or they could feel they were a victim. Right. Lots of people are, uh, feel that they're, you know, have genuine, a mis, essentially a court case is about a misinterpretation of reality, right? Like one let, side or the other. Or let both. me state what I think not is going to happen, but is happening as we speak. Because all these stories are about what will happen when this gets abused. I'm saying that this law is being used as a tool for people that want to create anger and hate to people uh-huh. that are uh, don't fit the, the mold, that are the transgender or their sexuality doesn't agree with them. The, the, what we have in this society right now is in my 66 years on this planet, only in maybe 40 years ago at the heights of the civil rights movement, the heights of Vietnam, have I seen this knee jerk us versus them and the, the loathing that happens between people. And a lot of it is based on the fact that we have uh, incentivized by profit, making a profit motive and getting people angry. When you get them engaged online, when you get that activity and anger does it better than feel good, that causes you to want to, to make money or you know how to use people to get their votes and to get accumulate your power. And I'm seeing it all over with this law. It's not about what what is happening now with this law. It's all about, oh, it, it's going to be you. It's, what about the fact that there is organized cottage industries that are making money by getting people fired up about transgenderism, fired up about sexuality, and... Let me tell you one other thing that I've actually heard and seen. And this is a little bit off of the hate crime. There is someone that Fox News has put on uh, when they do stories about transgender. I don't know how frequently, but I have seen at least the, the one or two cases that this person. It's a, a former either Navy SEAL or special ops uh, soldier who is a transgender woman now. And the... Quotes that I read from this person, uh, and this is like 10 or plus years since the transition has happened. And the person uh, is filled with regret on the transition and is on a crusade because it's alleging that there is a conspiracy to have thousands of sex change clinics in the U.S. That this is all a conspiracy to make a bunch of money off grooming kids and grooming individuals to, to make fortunes off getting people to change their sex into transition. Now, I've worked in the medical industry, and I said there is no way, even if this were true, there's no way this would ever be profitable. And that's what I, 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 <laughs> I would suggest is a real problem in a lot of these stories. Nobody ever thinks these things through and, you know, on the basis of, okay, let's say that's going to happen. Can this even support itself? I looked up how many surgical uh, procedures are done in a year uh, in regards to gender transition in the U.S. 
This number may sound like a lot to some people. 8,000. Now, this is adults? This is adults? Uh, over 18. Um, okay. uh, <laughs> you know, we can probably, there's probably not a lot of transition surgeries over age 60, but, you know, we can narrow that demographic down. I'll but bet you it's getting close. A year, 8,000 a year. So let's say that those procedures would generate $10,000. I'm not going to go through all the math on this, but that would be a big number. That would be a big number for a, a procedure like that. Yeah. Knee replacements. Think of all the orthopedic offices you see. And all the hospitals there are that are doing knee replacements. And like I said, 8,000 may sound like a big number to people, but think about the fact that there's close to 400 million people in the United States. And they're, you know, when you eliminate the oldest and the age and the youngest, you know, maybe there's a potential uh, target, total addressable market is what I think they like to say in the tech industry of individuals that you could do a procedure on. They don't want necessarily want it, but okay, there's this huge market that we're gonna have thousands of sex change clinics around the world, around the country. 8,000 in that. Knee replacements, in one year, there's 800,000. So there's 100 times more money or 100 times more uh, individuals actually seeking a procedure from a knee replacement to a sex change. Where is all the money coming that's going to create the sex change industry. I mean, there, there just doesn't hold up. You, you would need to generate, to keep a clinic open. You're going to have to generate a couple million dollars a year just to have the staff and everything else. This isn't going to happen. And the idea that because you read a book or you see some movie that you want to have yourself, uh, surgically altered unless you already feel that which goes us back to the beginning of this conversation about being neurodiverse and the difference between thinking and feeling and existing and i filibustered you there a little bit mark i want to make sure you have time to come back especially since this is your show well it's our show um you're on it it's our show for today anyway What I would say is, is that I don't know anything about this particular individual on uh, Fox News that they get as a pundit. But, he's and, not but I would say, or she's not imaginary. Yeah, I, I don't believe she is. Um, I believe there's lots of people that don't want to take responsibility for their own actions and their own decisions. And if she was over the age of 18, and it sounds like she was probably over the age of 30 when she made the transition, or he, I'm not, I, I don't know, um, then. I, I don't know what else to do but hold her responsible for her actions. You and pay her to come give a lecture at your right-wing group and get people fired up. Right. And that's, um, to me, what's the ridiculous part. If you care about some guy wearing a dress or not wearing a dress, you've got, I mean, find better things to worry about. Now, I will say that I have some level of concern about the idea of parents, uh, specifically crazy lefty parents, uh, you know, encouraging their young kids to transition. But I've looked into this and I've looked into it. And the conclusion I've come to is, is that the vast majority, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about 80 plus percent of the gender reassignment surgery that's done on people under the age of 18 is done on very, very young people 
who have ambiguous genitalia, who were born with ambiguous genitalia. And the doctor's like, well, it's a heck of a lot easier to make a vagina than it is to make a penis, so you're a girl. And then, um, you know, this creates probably a lifetime of problems. And I don't know how to solve that. So you must have, and I'm not, I'm not trying to contradict you. So you've probably looked at how that procedure actually is done. And uh, yeah, yeah, and it is that's a heck of a procedure. It's, it, it's not something one would hope to take undertake uh, yeah. for their kid lightly. Like, I, I, um, I don't even feel comfortable describing it on the the radio, where people might be listening and disturbed by it. <laughs> But it's, it's, it will be dis- it's disturbing. There's no doubt about it. But if, even if I take the extreme circumstance where um, a couple of kooks that, uh, you know, vote Green Party on a regular basis want their little boy who's playing with trucks to instead, uh, you know, play with dolls, for whatever reason, uh, they basically cajole him into uh, sexual reassignment surgery. I, I, I hate it. But I don't want to use the force and the power of government to go after these people. That's their kid. And I don't want the government coming in and telling me how I'm going to raise my kid. So I don't want the government going in and telling them how to raise theirs. And as much as I may disagree with the way they parent, I've, I've held for I've long held that most parents aren't qualified to be parents. But that doesn't change anything. They keep having babies. So... If I want to be able to have my life the way I want to have my life, I've got to leave other people alone to have theirs. So that's my opinion on the subject is, is ew. Uh, but, you know, all right, you, you do you. Yeah, Mark, it, it's, we only have a few minutes here. But it, one of the things that you were talking about is that you had looked at something and maybe the, the numbers of those um, – you under 18 gender assignment surgeries was very small. One of the things yeah. I had looked at, and I hadn't looked at it before this show, the, the outrage about transgender girls in high school sports, or, in, well, uh, or not even high school sports, in, uh, in sports. college sports too. And yeah. I'm looking at this quote as, as you were talking, uh, and This is the quote Uh, of the 15 transgender athletes competing in high school sports. Only two are transgender girls, according to the article by the Associated Press. Now, this is a Newsweek article dated April 21st. And I'm trying to discern whether that is, uh, I think that's in the North Carolina uh, so in, in North Carolina, 15 transgender athletes, so transgender boys, there, isn't, there doesn't seem to be a problem with people worrying about the transgender boys out competing the, uh, the boys who aren't transgender. But yeah, they don't with, worry about that. Transgender. So two, two in the whole state of North Carolina was, and I've seen the numbers like that around the, the country in like Utah and, and other places and Michigan. Uh, so uh, where is it? the outrage uh, can, might be there, but it seems like the outrage is profitable. I, I return to that point. Well, what's the profit in it um, for being outraged over that? 
Pardon just me? like your media, your your media platform puts the story out, and then people consume the story. That's the profit. You can ask for donations to stop the abuse of the children that are being transitioned. Getting up. So if, if does anybody give to that kind of thing? Pardon me. I mean, I get I get emails all day long asking me to donate to this thing or that thing, and some I believe in, and some I think are preposterous. But I don't give to any of them. Um, so you know, I mean, there there, there I, is an industry. Uh, of, you know, it's it's not like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tesla. He, you're not making Teslas or something. But, you know, then again, you're not making anything. So all the money you, that comes in is pretty much goes all profit. to the line. Yeah, it goes to, uh, uh, goes to paychecks. Well, well here's what I would say. High school athletes um, are probably the least problem here because very few young people are transitioning compared to people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And um, now I, I think the 40-year-olds are probably out of most sports, curling and pool accepted. Um, and, but I mean, when you're talking about the few instances where uh, an athlete is transitioning, I would say that if you are a young woman and you are competing against a young trans woman, and you lose, that there's going to be a percentage of those women that lose that are going to be bitter about it, and that their bitter bitterness is going to resonate strongly, and that we will probably see some system for separating athletes that's different than, I, I think I'm going to be a woman now, right? Like, it has to be something different. And I've, I've heard of systems for checking gender, you know, like chromosomal gender, um, I've heard systems for checking uh, the amount of testosterone and that if you have a sufficient amount of testosterone, you're competing in the open class, which is the former men's class, um, and that you have to have about below this level of testosterone in order to compete in the women's class or whatever the case may be. But that it probably doesn't feel real fair to lose to, um, you know, for a girl to lose to a biological man. All right, we'll leave it at that as far as this topic. I want to thank you for inviting me to join you on Edgington Post uh, under the big Free Talk Live umbrella. And uh, it's been very interesting. There's a whole lot of points that we raised that hopefully we'll get a chance to continue on uh, about that. And uh, hopefully... Well, let's do it again next week, Henry. And this time, let's be in the same studio. (laughs) Is that possible? You aren't yes. trotting the globe? Because I'm not going to be trotting the globe. I will be there uh, where you are. Wow. Well, I guess I better clean up. So. <laughs> Kitty, my cats are, are already getting tense about the whole concept. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do it at my house. Uh, well, maybe we get to keep the dogs quiet. All right. Well, it's been a great uh, day, and we'll... Uh, well, maybe we'll find out who had uh, left that cocaine in the White House by the time we do this again. Uh, <laughs> any last words, Mark? No, thanks for everybody for uh, trying out this new and improved Edgington Post. And hopefully uh, the first show with Henry and I will result in many, many more. We'll see you on the radio. 
Tired of cancel culture? Sick of mega tech corporations holding an axe over your head? Join the LRN.FM Matrix chat server. It's self-hosted, so no one else can tell us what to do or say. Don't like the existing channels? You can make your own. You can even connect into some of our channels from other Matrix servers. It's federated. For the full LRN.FM Matrix experience, though, you should join our server via the step-by-step instructions at chat.lrn.fm. chat.lrn.fm. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com